Hello to all, and welcome back to another installment of The Cutaway, live from the Ecuadorian Embassy, a.k.a. my fucking house. We here with Julian Assange, bitches. He's in our closet. <laughs> I will guide us through the globe again, but untangle your wires, untie your tubes. Get some tubes untied. Yeah, go back to the doctor. <laughs> and unplug your outlets, because today's episode will feature our Stick very first... Stick a fork in your outlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our very first tech run-through, so dry up your fingertips and moisten your retinas. Moist. It's mm. gonna get moist. Oh, no. Boy moist. <laughs> also on today's pod, we're excited to welcome back our guest contributor, Emily Haney, whom you all know and love. Emily, what the hell you gonna talk about? What are we gonna talk about today? We got DJ Carrie Fisher-Price on the Barbie <laughs> mic here. The Barbie mic. <laughs> to run down some groundbreaking award show moments and the badassery of their recipients. Woo! And later on today's pod, I'm going to give the absolute definitive take on sexual assault in government. No more arguments after this. And I actually, I missed my opportunity to read. I finally decided after many weeks on what my DJ name is going to be. Here it is. <laughs> DJ His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji, Dr. Max Pegues, BC, DSO, MC, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the seas and conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and Uganda in particular, a.k.a. Russell. Saying this with cereal, like, on <laughs> Cereal on my phone, cereal on the table. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to be taking you through all the latest uh, turbulent news cycle, uh, touching on the social issues that we as progressives need to be fighting for. All that and more on today's episode of The Cutaway. So stick around and we are going to dive in. All right. Because we recording in this bitch. Yeah. Is we live? Is we, we ready? We is live. We are live. We are all the, you know what? Live with the, the glory live. of God on this Sunday oh, morning. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We're all the no. way live, Emily. <laughs> Miss, we're here Don't in the studio, <laughs> a.k.a. our freaking dining room with Miss All the Way Live. <laughs> Who is Miss All the Way Live? Miss All the Way Live. That's Emily. Oh, oh, the, uh, <laughs> the right. I remember her. Anyway, okay. Is she, uh, is she still 14? I don't know. Emily, are you still 14? <laughs> no, actually. It's been about a decade. Wait, who's that girl that was on Mari? <laughs> Wiggles his hips. Yeah, chair. my chair here. All right. And anyway, we're back here. Squiggles his hips. <laughs> we're back here at the cutaway. We're proud to have Emily back in the studio. Um, and Emily is going to take us through some stuff as usual that two white guys are probably not fit. Well, I could talk about it, but well, we can talk the film. We can talk about the film actors guild awards. The f- <laughs> Screen actors. Jesus Christ. What? Film oh, oh, I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right, Emily, take us away here. All right. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, and I'm not talking about Christmas. I'm talking about award show. <laughs> award season, y'all. Jingle all the way. <laughs> so, in honor of the Grammy, all the way. So, in honor of the Grammy nominations being announced recently, I'll be running down a few instances where politics, social justice, and artistic artistic accolades have intersected. I'm going to start off with a moment from the SAG Awards um, when David Arbor, who plays Hopper in Stranger Dennis Things... Dennis Arbor? 
David Arbor. David Arbor. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't play Dennis Hopper. Is this who Arbor no. is named after? D- David Arbor, who plays Hopper in Stranger Things, gave the acceptance speech on behalf of the show's cast when they won the SAG Award for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series. Um, and in his speech, he emphasized, um, like, uh, repelling bullies. They said He says, we will shelter freaks and outcasts, those who have no home. We'll get past the lies, hunt monsters, and when we're at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the weak and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Who do you think he was talking about there? (laughs) Um, Probably Donald Trump. He was talking about... What? I don't know. I'm just assuming. Because this is like... This happened when... Like, right after the election, before the inauguration. So, oh, around, so this, around so the inauguration, I was going to say, so this was, this was back in... Uh, yeah, so this was earlier this year. Right on. Yeah. Um, Is Winona Ryder still on Stranger Things? Just yeah. for personal reference, okay. Yeah. Um, but Winona Ryder is in Stranger Things? Um, yes, yeah, and she's reason. a bad bitch. Admittedly, I have never seen a single episode of it that TV really show good. because, really like, good. the good piece of shit that I am, if something is this popular, I won't watch it. But it's really good, though, so you should watch I've it. I've only watched a few episodes. For Winona I mean, Ryder? Yeah. Will you just forward me the episodes that she's in, and I'll just ignore in, everything else? I mean, I'll just she's put in horse, every episode. I'll put horse blinders on. <laughs> 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 You'll have one of those, like, uh, like shit receptacles <laughs> behind your eyes. <laughs> Oh my god. Why, Nona, what are you doing to me? I got my saddle on. I got my my Edward Salad Hands on. (laughs) It's the best time of the year. Edward Salad Hands is going to be on TV. Oh, poor Winona. (laughs) All right. Um, So I really just wanted an opportunity to talk about not Winona Ryder, um, but I wanted to talk about the guy who plays my second favorite character on the show, Dustin. Dustin, Dustin Diamond? Um, no, he plays Dustin. His name is Gaten Matarazzo. So he's he's done a lot for people who live with cleidocrinal uh, dysotosis, which is a birth defect, affecting the bones and teeth, often manifesting as an underdeveloped or absent collarbone, wide-set eyes, and abnormally grown teeth, among other signifiers. So he not only raises money for CCD Smiles, which is an organization that helps cover the costs for oral surgeries for those who suffer from the condition, he also is preparing to launch a line of t-shirts, all the proceeds from which are gonna go to CCD Smiles. So further proof that he's an angel, whenever people ask for pictures in public, he takes a photo of the encounter to post on his own Instagram and thanks them for taking the time out of their day to speak to him. But actually is doesn't appear in the photo because he's an angel. He's invisible. He's an angel on earth. That's a pre and post op picture of what someone with CCD looks like. It's actually a very terrifying. Yeah, it can cause a lot of discomfort, um, physical discomfort, and uh, And people. I'm assuming this is the the boy. Yeah, that's him. It's Benjamin Button. That's Gate Matarazzo. I thought that Um, was. uh, Never mind. So he's just an all around cool kid. Kind of looks like Kurt Russell. So he's just an all-around cool kid and a wonderful example of how far warmth and compassion can take you at only 15. Um, so moving on to Viola Davis. Viola like Davis. Her. She's fantastic. Yes. That's my mom. We can talk about Viola Davis all day if we want to. So, um, her speech last year at the, um, I mean, this year signing at the Emmys, but mm-hmm. it wasn't not at the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no. Was it the Emmys? That speech, yeah. That quote? 
Well, maybe not the quote, but the only thing. Well, she won. She won an Emmy. She was the first black woman to win lead actress in um, a drama series. Also, she knows how to help you get away with murder. Yeah, I mean, I mean, her the, her winning her Oscar for Figures was, you know, like. Because I remember the Oscars. Loving. I remember the Oscar speech, and uh, it's one of those moments where like your eyes get watery because uh, yeah. I mean it was just like a very uh, impactful speech. Well, the sentence or the sentiment was the same whenever she won the Emmy in 2015. Um, so we remember when Adrian Brody announced Viola Davis's name, and Queen Viola raised her hands in sheer amazement before sprinting over to hug fellow nominee Taraji P. Henson, who was another incredible leading lady of color, visibly doing her damnedest to keep her composure, composure as she not only is one step closer to joining the 22 other actors who have been awarded the acting triple crown, but also becomes the first black woman to win the Emmy for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for her role as Annalise Keating and How to Get Away with Murder. See, I told you, she'll teach you how to get away with murder. Mm-hmm. That's what the, the whole show's room. about. <laughs> right. Yeah, dude. Killing people and getting off scot-free. Yeah. Literally, that's <laughs> Do it. not pay your debt to society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they do delve into, like, the how it can cause personal turmoil, even if you don't get caught by the feds. Stop snitching. Yeah, yeah, so don't snitch. Feds watching. Holmes. I'm gonna stay fresh as hell if the feds watching. That's right, Sherlock. So, um, Davis really highlighted um, representation and inclusion in her speech, which is a running theme throughout um, a lot of her uh, press interactions. And, you know, the sentiment carried over to the Oscars, the most recent Oscars when she won. Um, uh, supportive, supporting actress. Um, so the greatest takeaway from her speeches is, to me, is the only thing that separates women of color from everyone else is opportunity. You can't win an Emmy for roles that are simply not there. Um, and this kind of hails back to the fact that until Scandal premiered in 2012, there hadn't been a woman of color playing a lead in a primetime drama since 1974. So it kind of does it doesn't boil down to the fact that you know black women aren't winning the awards it's just that there aren't the roles or there the right. roles or I mean, it's just like she them. said like you know if uh you never like and this applies to like anything like you never know what you're going to be good at or talented at if you're never given the opportunity to like get your you know foot in the door basically yeah. so because it's not to say that and a lot of this has to do with like uh sort of what's going on in our culture as a whole right now which is like uh you know, we've had this uh, deeply embedded into our culture that there are like certain types of people do certain jobs, and like those same people keep winning awards or whatever it is, getting recognition for their hard work. Mm -hmm. And it's like anyone can do any job. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There is no like one person is good for one type of job, uh, and especially like uh, with women of color and entertainment, for instance, I think everyone just assumes that because we have Beyonce that like all women of color are uh, afforded the same opportunity yeah. when, I mean, uh, <clears throat> That's not Viola Davis is not a young woman. Like yeah. she's been acting for like decades. And she didn't start acting until like... Yeah, I remember her. late 20s. Right, but I mean, still, she's, like, you know, been doing this for yeah. years, mm -hmm. and now, like, she's just now getting recognition for something that she's been great at, you yeah. know, her whole career. She's one of my absolute favorite actresses. Right, and now it's, now all of a sudden she's, like, you know, very in demand when yeah. she's... 
And this is like, there is absolutely nothing that says that like they're in a separate category. Like all entertainers, no matter what you're like, what you look like, if you have any disabilities, whatever, you're an entertainer and like, it's about time that people are finally getting recognition based on like actually like being talented and not yeah. just like oh congratulations you're white and blonde and pretty and that prime time is being diversified right. I mean even looking at a show like This Is Us who shows a very a different depiction of a modern black family than you're typically used to seeing um, with Randall and Beth and um, you know you guys don't know what I'm talking about but no, I don't watch TV. Um, yeah, well it's a really beautifully written show this is us if you haven't seen it um, it's on NBC right yes I mean my my fear of like uh, and this I'll say this it is absolutely a fantastic thing that there is mainstream entertainment that actually gives like a real look and there's no like fetishizing like blackness or anything yeah. else. There's no like there's uh, no like Miley Cyrus twerking on stage. Right. There's not any like weird cultural appropriation yeah. stuff that like was like very uh, common in the '90s and through most of the early 2000s when it came to like any sort of minority on TV. Mm-hmm. My fear in doing that though is that it's like they're. Uh, it's like social capitalism, right? Where TV, like networks and all that, and like um, producers, directors, they're realizing that like we can make a lot of money off of this, like you know, social oh, change that's happening within sure. the United States. And like when in reality, this is something you should have been doing for decades. Like, yeah. and now you're just realizing. And also, I think mostly it's happening to make money, like because they realize that like young people don't really give a shit about mainstream TV anymore, and so it's a way to get younger you know audiences to start watching network television because like frankly I don't give a shit what's on NBC do I think it's really great that there's a TV show out there that's like uh, you know finally doing what they should have been doing for years yes is it too little too late I also say yes but also major networks make money off of rehashing the same uh, television show over and over again yeah so The Office Parks and Rec I mean I mean any Doctor related show or any crime scene related. I mean, it's yeah. just like over and over and over yeah, again. So I finally a, realized. There's a formula that works. And, but it doesn't, you know, it, right, it doesn't, but have, it doesn't it speak doesn't, to who we are. Right. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that too. It's like a. It doesn't TV, have the shelf right. And TV, TV has always been a way, I think, to like. Uh, chop up the really complex bits of our like society and hand them to you in something that's more palatable right so they're taking this like a you know very complex social issue and trying to like make it first of all easier to understand and make you think that there's like immense social progress going on when like there is to some degree but also there's not and so I'll, I'll bring this whole thing around to say that like I think that when a woman like Viola Davis uses her platform to like give a very unflinching look mm-hmm. at what the industry is really like for her and what her experience has really been like mm-hmm. and people I think a lot of people would see her winning an award and giving a very powerful speech and saying like congratulations like this is great like women of color have made it and mm-hmm. she's giving you this very real authentic look at like this was a fucking struggle to get here yeah. and this is just the beginning well there's you know? yeah there's still a long way to go and while like depictions of uh, characters like Olivia Pope and Annalise Keating, which are brilliantly performed, 
Um, yeah, Carrie they Washington, have, she's great. Yeah, they have their flaws, but um, and they definitely have a long way to go in terms of um, inclusion and true di- true diversity and not right. just doing it for the sake of commoditizing it right. or commodifying it, you know? Right. Like, similar to how a lot of people, um, especially musicians, kind of commodify feminism. Right. But, um, well, I think it's, like, it's very easy, and also you have to remember the types of people who are in control of these industries like mm-hmm. they're people who are absolutely detached from reality and especially from what's actually going well, I mean when you're a pop star your identity is multi-dimensional and uh, multifunctional you know you have your image you have your music you have your whatever your product uh, movie well, think, that you're I putting out nowhere makeup line in, in no other like uh, fields is like the true evil like social evil of capital capitalism more evident than in entertainment oh yeah like with mainstream like pop artists and television and all this shit like in movies like nowhere is the actual social evil of capitalism more evident than in that and also like human rights are being violated with like you know the sexual assault epidemic and everything like everything that's coming out like from like within the entertainment industry you know it's like it's very difficult to draw the line between like uh, you know where should we say good job celebrities for using your platform to actually do something and Mm -hmm. on the flip side saying you know you got to do more like you can't just come out and like have a have one of your fucking ivy league educated personal assistants craft some tweet for you that gets a lot of retweets there's a difference between that and actual activism Mm -hmm. we were also talking about how um a lot of this is related to social capital and a lot of it is related to the politics uh, that exist outside of the actual medium and outside of the actual award show. Mm. But within the internal framework of the award show itself, there's still a consistent recognition of uh, the actor or actress as a performer and giving that due diligence to to award that uh, hard work mm-hmm. um, and it, within the greater scope of that person's career. Yeah. So you can take, um, like Michael Keaton, for example, winning in Birdman uh, a few years ago. Michael Keaton came from having no career to having this stellar performance in a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you compare that to uh, Sean Penn winning for Milk instead of Mickey Rourke winning for The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Obviously, completely different performances, but Mickey Rourke completely outacted uh, Sean Penn in that. Sean, yeah. Sean Penn won the role. So it still makes the due diligence and the uh, it corrects its mistakes mm-hmm. for um, not acknowledging a person's rise to the occasion or uh, attempts at like restructuring their career. Yeah. I mean, uh, DiCaprio winning for Best Actor and The Revenant, that's sort of a farce. But I mean, that's a you don't fine. think he deserved it? No, Tom Hardy out acted him in that movie. Well, yeah, Tom Hardy's a way better um, actor than. And yeah, and you saw that throughout the movie. But uh, that was deeply offensive. And he's, I'm triggered. And he's a lot hotter too. Leonardo DiCaprio is like a 40 year old man. Tom Hardy's like my age, maybe not. He's like 30, but whatever. Whatever. Well, you think DiCaprio? I mean, they're is both hot. Better actor than Tom Hardy. I don't know. Yeah, I do. Jesus. I cried in the Titanic, Austin. Every time I've watched it since it um, came out when I was yeah, the five. Titanic. DiCaprio won because he had won uh, Best Actor, but he also has an environmental uh, right. platform. Well, yeah, I feel like okay, ludicrous, that but. movie. Not to go like too deep into this tangent. That fucking movie, The Revenant. I watched the first like ten minutes. Unwatchable. So I, I, couldn't I do, do it. agree. No, it I do agree with you that like it's unwatchable. Unwatchable to me. Well, it's a throwback to. South American cinema, so it's basically combining like a lot of um, 
cinematic techniques of uh, Jodorowsky and a lot of uh, like surrealist cinema. Well, I think about like so it, yes, it, it, I mean, and also the director is uh, a Latin American filmmaker, but mm -hmm. the. Uh, it plays on the environment and how uh, human struggles within this larger uh, mystical, natural uh, landscape doesn't really mean anything. Well, I think so about it in terms of like his on. other performances. Like yeah. for him to win Best right. Actor, did it need to be in this fucking movie? If you think about the scope of his entire career, probably not. No, I mean I don't know. I mean, depends on what role he's in. Depends on what the role. Uh, I think he should have won for Wolf of Wall Street. He should have won well, yeah. that for that instead of the Revenant. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Is it not necessarily <laughs> to say that like? I mean, I also didn't like the movie the first 10, 15 minutes that I watched, but I think this was also before I got. Started. You need to watch um watch the three years old. The Revenant. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You watch the end of the Revenant because it's like this beautiful moment of. It come out. Uh, 2014, 2015. It's, it's like two hours and 45 minutes long, but at the end of the movie, um, DiCaprio looks into the camera as if to say, like, this is my award. This oh is my like, God. this is my. No, so you, you've seen The Revenant? Um, I've seen part of it. I, okay. I, well, couldn't, the, I couldn't watch it. You couldn't watch it. It was tough to watch. It's, what? Come on. It's the same director as Birdman. It's in, uh, in Yaritu. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was this like, movie came out right. This movie came out on Christmas of 2015. So this was like, which likely means I watched it like literally right after I started to get sober. So it's probably just missing <laughs> what I went to go see it. All right. Well, what I'm saying is the uh, so everything I just said, ignore. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Oscars still. Uh, what I'm saying is the Oscars still makes an attempt, even uh, towards people of privilege, mm -hmm. to uh, acknowledge attempts at uh, regaining steam in their career. But uh, Moonlight winning last year instead of La La Land, that was excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I, I saw, I did see La La Land, and it was. Uh, I liked the attempt of like. Uh, Everything harkened back to like you know post World War II, that you know blurred line between theater and film, and um, it was real to me. The movie seemed like you know they were trying to mount a Broadway musical, but like but it's, a, it's an examination movie. of filmmaking and performing arts. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the like cinematography in that movie was fantastic. Well, no, I mean the like the figurative approach of the movie is an examination of making it in Hollywood right. and, and performing. Uh, and it was in, all in addition to in Hollywood, right? I mean, even it was set in you know 2007. But I don't think it was that. It wasn't used as a political vehicle in that sense, too, uh, right? To satirize Hollywood that way. I like the great movie, though. Nice. So where, where does that where does that leave us in so, this outline? This is great. <laughs> Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. I love that guy. All right. So 1973, the same year he. Uh, Performed in uh, Last Tango in Paris, where he mm -hmm. completely lost his fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he like the original sexiest man alive or something? I don't know. Me, I'm the original okay. sexiest man alive. Um, so. <laughs> By Ralph Lauren. This is a good. <laughs> this is a good example of um, someone with privilege using their platform to elevate the voices of those who are disenfranchised. 
Um, so he enlisted Native American activist and actress Sheen Littlefeather to decline the Oscar he was to be awarded for his role in the penultimate film The Godfather in 1973. Um, Littlefeather is of Apache descent and she spoke on Brando's behalf as a way of protesting the treatment of Native Americans in the film industry. So she oh, walks up deal. She walks up to the stage, really graceful, regal AF, and as Roger Moore tries to hand her the Oscar statuette, she puts up her hand and goes to push it away. Darling, you're stiff. Yeah. Oh my god. Where's my martini? Slaps her in the ass. Yeah. That's the James Bond character. So after being booed by half of the audience, Little little Feather... You seem shaken, not tossed. Oh my god. She ends her denial speech by saying, I hope I have not intruded upon this evening and that in the future our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Go ahead, get it out, Max. Get I like my out. salad tossed, not eaten. <laughs> So, Native Americans have been on my mind a lot lately, and not just because of Thanksgiving, the early slot fest commemorating the original capital A, capital A, capital S, American Award Show. What is that? Where the European settlers so generously awarded Native Americans with deadly disease, mass displacement, and the near successful erasure of their entire culture. Right? What a great gift. Um, so, a culture that Americans can't seem to stop mocking, mercilessly rubbing salt in the wound of our the wound our ancestors created centuries ago, and that salt is comes in the form of a nice compound of racist generalizations and the continued erasure of the injustices they've endured at the hands of European imperialism. Yeah. Um, and this manifests itself in a few different ways. <clears throat> um, most recently, um, by the protester rhetoric in the news cycle, um, Native Americans, uh, they don't see themselves as protesting things like the Dakota Access Pipeline and the Keystone XL Pipeline. They see it as their duty to protect the land passed down to them by their ancestors. Um, so they see them. They see they don't see themselves as, pro as protesting, rather protecting their water supply, land, and their families. Another one. <laughs> This also. I miss um, my Keystone Pipeline. Your Keystone my Pipeline. My Keystone Light Pipeline. Where'd it go? Is it under? Did you bury it somewhere? Yeah. Did you bury it somewhere? Oh, no. oh right. My. <laughs> oh, you look, oh my God! It's, it's Tonto. Oh, Tonto. Wow. Tonto's yeah. in the studio. Speaking. Ton, of... Tonto, tell us about uh, what you think about the Keystone Pipeline. Oh my God! I'm, I'm not about, about to do a super nope. offensive accent. Nope. So, I, just, I just wanted to get in the spirit of this segment. So in case anyone's wondering what just happened, Someone Max, take my picture. This is going on the Facebook page. Um, Max just put on a very um, becoming... It's, uh, Redskins owner Dan Snyder in the studio. Yeah, Native American headdress. <laughs> Man rider in the studio. Wait till, we, wait till this is over. Wow. So beautiful. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> how appropriate. It's an American spirit. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the American spirit. So, <laughs> since Max has uh, put on this headdress, we can talk about Halloween. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and costumes that depict Native people in headdresses and war paint. They're hella offensive. You like the band war paint? All right. 
Unrelated. <laughs> okay, but you like their music. Um, <laughs> Let me play a song by Warpaint. Oh my god. So things like body paint and headdresses may seem frivolous to a lot of us, but in reality they're very sacred, fundamental aspects of Native American spirituality. So imagine how a Native person feels seeing a white person wearing a party city knockoff of their sacred tribal garments. You mean like a like the shirts that employees at Party City wear? Yeah. Like that's a knockoff. <laughs> yes. Knock that off. Oh my god. I well I think about this. Okay, so uh, I actually I wasn't a part of this Facebook argument, but I watched it unfold. This was probably like two or three weeks ago, like in the like after Halloween. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, one of my friends who she's actually getting her PhD out in California was embattled in this uh, Facebook debate about what's cultural appropriation and what's not, and. It, it's this actually like really got me thinking about a lot of things, and I think it there's a sort of like a simple answer to it is that really it depends on like your intent, right? Which is very mm-hmm. difficult to to like actually pin down. So if you are you know getting dressed up for Halloween like in as like a slutty Pocahontas. That's probably in bad taste. And not like well, right? an Elizabeth Warren costume. Yeah, right. Not, not slutty Elizabeth Warren. Right. Yeah, not Jesus. Well, it's it's another, it's one thing if you like. <laughs> right, but and all the whole argument hinged around this like axiom of like either if you if you are a white person or whatever and you dress up in any sort of like. Uh, Anything that represents another culture, it's cultural appropriation, it's bad, you're a racist, you're a piece of shit, you shouldn't do that. Versus this other side, which is a little bit more gray, which, like I said, part of it hinges on your intent, right? Mm -hmm. So if your intention is to just be frivolous and you have absolutely no idea the implications of your actions, that's something that needs to be looked at. Well, people think it's an invitation to do whatever the hell they want. Right, and like that's the bad part of it. But the flip side of that is, is one of the arguments that was made is we should be like celebrating this like, uh, not necessarily like mixing of cultures, but like embracing like, you know, uh, the freedom to do what you want. Right. Well, yeah, like, well, you that's... want to experience a different culture, and as long as you're doing it in a way that's like not disrespectful to the that's culture. That's not careless. Right. Right. Not, like, not frivolous. That's what I'm like. I made the the you know slutty yeah. Pocahontas Halloween costume idea. But, but I mean, it's the what... same thing with like you know people do like, uh, and this is like an ex- a very obvious wrong. But this was a big thing uh, when I was you know. Back in college, there's this big thing with like fraternities throwing like blackface Halloween parties, which seems to me like a very obvious wrong thing to do. But like that is the very blatant part of like you know, I mean that's not even cultural appropriation; that's just outright racism. Mm-hmm. But now they mock the uh, black men who have been murdered by police. Right. It's just well, it's just been taken a step further. Right. Yeah. And, and the other part of that is you know I saw there is like a one in this whole it was like a fucking whole long thread in this Facebook debate, one of it was like, there was this group of like little girls, right? It's all these like white moms wanted to get together and expose their children to different cultures. And so they had like a traditional like Japanese like tea ceremony and they did their very best to recreate it. They were wearing the costumes and they had on these like, 
like head like hair pieces you know what I mean and it got apparently it garnered a lot of flack from like this is cultural appropriation this is wrong and so the argument hinged upon like their intent was not to mock the culture but to learn about it mm -hmm. and so I think that like probably yeah just, I mean it's just like Dia de los Muertos things in right. Spanish class and it, you know? and it seems that's obvious different. well that's a little like, different because in Mexican culture uh, they, they embrace death death is an yeah. death is an invitation to something new so it is it's, like it's a celebration Right. right. It's a celebration of your life. Uh, with like a wake. Yeah. yeah. But with less but, drinking but, and fighting. But with the Japanese tea uh, ceremony costumes, I mean, they could have very well been Princess Amidala from Star Wars. Yeah. Queen Amidala. Queen Amidala. Yeah, but, you know... And that's you know there is that distinction, but uh, but think about what the majority does. You know, right. like the majority most, has absolutely zero. Uh, yeah, they don't. They don't give a shit. Yeah. culture. Like that's all well and good, like wanting to be educated about different cultures, but you got to think about also like that's not what the majority of people are doing that are appropriating. Right. I think it's like outfits. it's a very different. It's. I honestly think it's a difficult argument that a lot of people assert. That, or especially when we're talking about something like Halloween, like, oh, my culture is not a costume. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that largely because I think the way that the, like, the cultures are represented in these costumes is very casual. It's very, like, uh, not like outright disrespectful, but it is to a large degree. It doesn't take into consideration, like, the, the the cultural significance of what you're doing, right? So it's all like based on like your level of frivolity and about it. Um, yeah, if you have like a pretty intense approach to uh, like I don't know, restricting all costumes that uh, relate to different cultures and different backgrounds, then that's a double standard. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, I think that's the point that I'm really trying to make. But here. if the people who like design these costumes like really did their research, you know, and well, that's the that's the that's another part of the it's cultural evil of capitalism is they don't yeah. care. It's a way to make money. There, you don't have to take that into consideration. But like, I'll, I'll say this: the flip side to it, right? I am a white person. My parents are white people. If there, if I saw, like, let's say, like a group of Hispanic kids running around in like khakis and boat shoes and like you know the ridiculous color. So I'll, this is this requires some background. The neighborhood that Austin and I live in gets a magazine every couple months that features a family in the neighborhood. And you know those like very stereotypical white families that have like the dog and the two and a half kids and the very typical looking white mom and dad? They're always on the cover, right? They have a if, combined uh, IQ of this potted bamboo. Right, exactly. <laughs> and if, if I saw a group of, you know, black kids running around dressed like that or Hispanic kids running around dressed like that, I would celebrate it. Like, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But Appropriate the shit out of that culture because it's ridiculous. Not a white culture. White culture is ridiculous. Yeah, but people well, there in 2017... really is no white culture. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, there is. It's unseasoned chicken breast and broccoli with unsweet tea. That's, that's sad That's culture. white culture. Well, I think it's called neo-Nazis. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that prep man literally that is. The skinhead movement. Yeah. Alright, the, the red skin. So, um... <laughs> oh my god. This is another example of public gaslighting. The breadsticks. Um, public gaslighting? <laughs> yes. So they're told that they're... Now you light your fart on fire. So Native Americans are told they're too sensitive and take the mascot too seriously. After all, it's just a mascot. But if it's just a mascot to you, why don't you just change it? Especially because it hurts and offends so many people. 
Right. I mean, right. Well, it so seems like an easy, that, an easy thing to do. Just be like, hey, we're going to change the name of this team. It can still be about the Native Americans, but something that's like a less inflammatory name. It yeah, because Redskins be are used. Redskin is like a slur. Right. But, uh, how the NFL is uh, structured is the NFL has complete domain over all of its teams, whether they build a stadium or whether they change their logo, whatever. Um, but the individual teams can tap into uh, tax money to like build stadiums. So it's only the uh, the infrastructure and the the factors that get fans in the seats, basically, that they control. So it's, I mean, it's the NFL that needs to come to the table and change yeah. the, change the mascot. It's not like a, some some owner of a team. Well, yeah. But yeah. it is also in, in this case, it is Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins. I mean, it, it also it's like I said, it seems like an easy victory, but. The owner's not going to change the name of this team, and also having the public debate about it year after year after year will keep will make people watch. Yeah, it's, but also it's, the Redskins fans are considered to be the most loyal and most uh, enthusiastic fans in the league, so you also have to compete with that. Yeah, and their team's not that good. Their team is not that good, but it's the Redskins. Kind of like it's, it's like, like one of the original teams in the NFL. Yeah, it's like so. changing the like asking the Detroit it's like changing the White to change Sox to a different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we can we can talk about um, you know cultural appropriation and um, the different kinds that we see that we witness and that we um, know that people of color face. Um, but as white people, it's not up to us to decide how Native Americans feel about the ways that we mock them. Um, it's not up to us to decide how Native people feel about the history our ancestors stole from them. But it is up to us, however, to elevate the voices of our Native friends, just as Brando did for Little Feather. And it's also up to us to keep our, our peers accountable in instance instances of racism and attempted erasure aimed at Native Americans. So this allows for Native America. <laughs> <laughs> for God, this allows for native, the Native community to more effectively fight for socio-political and economic justice. Um, so that is kind of my um, yeah. That's very very cute. How quaint. Um, that's my roundup of uh, three of my favorite uh, award show moments and their social political um, implications. But I wanted to give an honorable mention to. That's not what the outline says. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna shut shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. <laughs> so whenever Lady Gaga performed "Till It Happens to You" in the Oscars in honor of sexual assault survivors, it was a very moving display of solidarity and vulnerability that reminds us all. Why art is the universal language connecting all of us. Um, and it apparently will always make Max poop his pants. No, you, Emily, this is your um. section. Instead, it's, it's always going to make you poop your pants. Yeah, but why is why your little cursor is right next to it? My cursor is not there. My cursor is up <laughs> near the title of this section, which is not honorable mention. It's kind of interesting to see Lady Gaga's evolution because, we, you know, the, the name Lady Gaga, and it's from a Queen song, but... Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's formless. Um, it's this vacuum of all these different factors, and uh, you know this explosion of like no of having no direction, right? Mm -hmm. But now she's the only so, like well, she she's the primary activist in pop music. She talks about she talks about it in her um, documentary on Netflix, Gaga Five Foot Two, which is incredible. You guys should watch it. Um, but she talks about how like all of the outrageous things that she did, like the outfits. Um, 
like the stunts on stage, like whenever she performed paparazzi um, at the VMAs and like ended the performance like with like blood, like fake blood gushing from her stomach, you know? The steak dress. Yes, and yeah, the steak dress. Um, but she said that it kind of all led up to like her building this platform that she now has to really make a difference. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I have never seen that documentary, but it seems like all of the absurdity in the beginning of her career, you it's know. coming like, full circle now. Right, a lot of it is uh, very much matured into this more distilled mm-hmm. type of activism that it, it like, makes a very clear sequence of, like, like you said, like it has very much led to where she's at right now and the type of activism that she engages in now. And if anything, this is, like, me editorializing, is that it gives her significant Amounts of credibility when mm-hmm. she starts talking about like the issues well, that she she's talks very about intelligent to her uh, competitors. <laughs> well, she is, which doesn't take much, but I mean, even like despite that, it gives her uh, a level of credibility that she otherwise might not have. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because it makes her. I mean. I, I do believe that she has an in-depth knowledge of the issues that she is passionate about, but it also gives her like the outright appearance well, she that like communi- she like she has credibility. She communicates outside. with the public though. That's like the biggest well, so thing. So does Donald Trump. Yeah, well, I mean, but she she like she. Um, yes, I just compared Lady Gaga to Donald Trump. No, that's, at me on Twitter at Max Pegues. Donald Trump is not even a human, so. Well, no, I'm all all that is to say that like she has a level of credibility that like someone like Katy Perry or Miley yeah. Cyrus absolutely doesn't have, and they've also engaged in like fucking antics to mm-hmm. get attention. And I and I don't think that Lady Gaga's antics early on in her career were for negative attention. Like that is no. like we said, that is her setting up a chronological set of events that have now led to where she's at, and it seems in retrospect considerably more intentional than it did at the time. Yeah. Right. That there was just like a shock factor to her wearing a meat suit. Like I remember that for me being like one of the big things that she came out and did. I like how I like her nuance. Her nuance she has a lot of nuances in her performances like um, that kind of go hand in hand with her activism as well. Right. Like whenever she performed at the Super Bowl, she was wearing a Ooh, that was an accident. She was uh, wearing um, the suit. The suit she was wearing was um, uh, like the colors of the bisexual pride flag, which I thought was, as a bisexual woman, I really appreciated seeing that because bisexual erasure is a thing in the media, and seeing any kind of beacon of representation, um, especially on a stage like the Super Bowl halftime show, is very affirming. So that anything Lady Gaga does. You know, I'm all here for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, but also with Lady Gaga, it's it's direct. It's mm-hmm. uh, her platform is obvious mm-hmm. with other pop artists, and you can't say the same. Yeah, I mean, she she credits the gay community for giving her start. You know, she, well, she got her start at Juilliard. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but her come up her come up was you know by performing in. Um, typically like gay traditionally gay right, spaces right, right. and stuff like that so that's all i've got to say on that right everyone um, that was a lot of fun yeah this was good because last week it was just awesome and i and that was a great episode but it's always fun to be able to have you yell at us for <laughs> acting like idiots yeah 
Anyway, so... probably to yell at you for <laughs> acting like idiots. All right, we're going to just take a brief break so I can go outside and smoke this cigarette. And then... <laughs> that I'm, like, chomping on the end of for the last 45 minutes. And then we're going to come back, and Austin is going to take us through his, uh, his tech segment. And uh, I just want to leave everyone with this before we uh, take a little break. This is exactly what we're about here at Juvenile. The team, we're Juvenile, and this is what we're about. Oh my God. The 9-9 and the 2000. <laughs> All right, everybody, stick around, and we will be back. Bye. I got to sink my ass to the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> now, coming soon from Apple, you can sink your ass to the cloud. <laughs> That's going to be part of their, like, what is it, like $3.99 a month for, like, one terabyte? Yeah. Dedicate a whole terabyte of storage to your ass. The Apple penetration test. Yeah. All right. Everybody introduce me, Daddy. <laughs> Everybody, welcome back. We are going to try something new again this week where Austin is giving us... <laughs> A tech roundup incorporated into his uh, his global news roundup, and uh, this this is sure to be exciting as this week has yielded some. I was going to say like great international news, but not all of it's well, no, great. That just a lot of exciting stuff. But often <laughs> we've received immense feedback and static. Yeah, there's been some feedback, there's been some snow, there's been some static. So the snowman's coming. So yeah. Austin, young Jeezy is about to drop another out. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Jeezy, Pastor Jeezy. <laughs> so our tech roundup begins with Bitcoin mining company uh, confirming a hack. So amidst the news of Bitcoin's rise to $17,000 a share and subsequent uh, drop thereafter, uh, NiceHash, which is a marketplace that matches those with uh, spare computing to power to miners wanting to create new coins, uh, new cryptocurrencies, um, they've confirmed that uh, Bitcoin had been hacked through their marketplace. So the site itself uh, contained nearly 5,000 Bitcoin worth more than $60 million uh, on today's... Fucking incredible. Yeah, so that's all uh, compromised. Um, the lesson learned here is change your fucking passwords. All of them. Yeah, do not use, like me, I use the same password for everything. Right. <laughs> me too. Yeah, uh, would you, tell, let's tell the audience our passwords. When do I do that? My password is... E A A sixty nine sixty nine. And if I need to use a special symbol, and you know, because sometimes it's like you need a capital letter, a number, and a special symbol. Mm -hmm. My special symbol is the dollar sign or the pound sign. Oh. Hey. Uh, so yeah. Change your passwords. Uh, hackers use a, a technique called identity stuffing, which is relatively easy to do. And uh, there's Stuff a me. yeah, stuff their computer in their ass. Um, and there's a, a possibility that your information right now is uh, waiting on a hacker's computer. So as they uh, gain traction and uh, absorbing all of, all of this information from different people, they wait for the right moment to uh, exploit all of your information. Um, and this is coming in conjunction with the news that only 1,000 people own 40% of Bitcoin, which makes you think 
uh, I know that huge names in uh, cybercrime and hacking use Bitcoin as a way for uh, as a way to sell their software software that they've built uh, right. with Bitcoin. Um, namely, I know Sla Slavic, the premier cyber criminal in the world, and uh, <laughs> whatever name, Lucky12345, whatever name he goes by now. Um, he also appeared on the Obama White House uh, briefing related to meddling in the 2016 election. But uh, with his software, um, any version of the Zeus uh, hacking software, he would make his users pay in Bitcoin. So I, I would only imagine that the the most clandestine and uh, invisible cyber criminal in the world, if he if he's using it, then I'm sure many others are. Um, and right, just and it goes back to showing like uh, Bitcoin is an exciting new chapter because I mean of course we talked about this last week it's been around for a long time but it's like this becoming this exciting new mainstream way to gamble basically yeah. but it was invented by the dark web for the dark web so proceed with caution mm -hmm. like I've been I've been watching Bitcoin now for the last like month and I desperately want to get in but the last thing I want is to have someone take what little money I have left <laughs> and my cryptocurrency at the same time right and it's not new to American history having like a ledger system that has no monetary backing um, or direct relation. Uh, I know that George Washington created a similar system during the Revolutionary War or to fund the war called Continentals. So yeah, the, we out here getting continental. The uh, the idea of a ledger system disguised as a currency is nothing new. Right. Um, people should take caution, obviously. Um, so, in relation to Slavic, Lucky12345 are the Russian darling of cyber hacking. Let's uh, go into Russia's launch of a new domain, domain naming system. Um, so, Russia has plans to build its own ind independent internet infrastructure uh, to be used by BRICS nations. So, when it's used by BRICS nations, it's obviously under the guise of uh, emerging economic players and rising GDPs in nations that we uh, new players in the economic uh, arena. Right. Um, this moves internet traffic to their own backup system. Uh, so what this means is that um, any any internet traffic that would uh, typically occur on a DNS a domain naming system uh, would then also be present and uh, able to be, it would be able to be compromised via this new um, internet infrastructure. So the U.S. handed over the uh, the original DNS system to ICANN, which is a, uh, an NGO, but uh, Russia and China at that same time wanted it to be controlled by the U.N.'s telecommunication union. So the U.S. kind of missed out on the olive branch there. Um, and so now with this new DNS the BRICS members um, would be limiting their uh, the citizens' access to any website when uh, the system is activated, and it allows uh, these not only these oppressive regimes but others to uh, de-anonymize tour traffic and hunt for people that are sharing information that is not it's like their way of getting into the deep web, yeah, like yeah. they're in the, within their country. 
Right, but um, it, it tracks people who are sharing uh, information and um, communications to possibly, I don't know, create and formulate uh, a coup or some sort of uprising. Right. Um, and <laughs> these are generally called uh, defector attacks. Uh, a defector attack uses Tor browsers um, where antivirus software would normally fail. So a Tor network builds um, this bond or uh, I guess like a, a bundling of HTTP and DNS traffic before HTTP is sent into the, dis the destination that we see on our browsers every single day. Um, and these Tor attacks pick up on outgoing DNS queries when they're no longer encrypted. So uh, it attacks the, it uses the information before the uh, encryption and also uh, takes the information after it's been encrypted. So it's pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty unique stuff. And uh, this is supposed to be enacted uh, on August 1st. So can't wait for that. Mark your calendars. Yeah, your uh, shit's really. If you think the shit's bad now with our relationship with Russia, <laughs> like just, just just wait for it to get even worse uh, when we absolutely cannot control their. I mean, we have, we already cannot control their uh, cyber content and prepare for it to get even worse, right. basically. And now the government's involved, basically. Yeah, I mean, this is a. They're using it as a, uh, I mean, their their defense is that the U.S. is hacking into their energy sectors and their defense and right. airspace. So we uh, might as well too. Right. Yeah. Um, so this leads us into uh, Uber and its bizarre fascination with lying to everyone. Um, <laughs> last Tuesday, Uber admitted that hackers had stolen 57 million driver and rider accounts. So this includes phone numbers, email addresses, and names. Um, but strangely, this occurred a year ago. We're hearing about it now because the breach was held secret after a ransom of uh, $100,000 was paid to the hackers responsible. Um, yes, your first inclination is to think about what state laws and national laws this may violate, and it does violate uh, breach disclosure laws and violates a uh, Federal Trade Commission rule on breach disclosure. Right, but their former CEO, the guy that like founded the company or whatever, who wasn't he like forced out over the summer or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Like he was known for like not cooperating with the FTC and like yeah. he, and essentially the company became what it is today because he was so willing to like breach all sorts of laws and said like none of this. And even though they have a new CEO and like a largely a new team put in place like that culture of fucking rule breaking is still there oh yeah you know? like entirely uh well the, travis Kalanick, who's the former ceo of uber and still a board member of uber which uh, is like yeah. how do you kick this guy out of running the company and still give him a financial st you know what i mean yeah uh, no, not a financial stake but a an influential stake, yeah, yeah, right yeah, he's still, still in a position of power um he was known for his scandalous uh he had an outburst in, the, in an Uber car, in an Uber rider's car, saying that, uh, you know, it's not his problem that Uber riders are treated like shit and that uh, their consistent HR complaints 
um, within Uber's uh, office environment, and he said he has no control over what uh, over the shit people go through that they project onto other people, <laughs> slam the door. Uh, but also Fucking psychopath. Yeah, he's a psychopath. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're um, Uber's kind of known at this point for its toxic work environment and uh, firing employees that have complained about sexual assault or sexual harassment to their HR departments. Um, also, Kalanick is. Uh, known in another scandalous light for uh, pursuing prostitutes in Seoul. Right, and like uh, it's actually interesting that like uh, this I mean, it's like comes right for parody. There's like an episode of BoJack Horseman where two of the characters like create a ride-sharing service, and you're watching it. And for people who like were, un- I'm sure that people who are unfamiliar with uh, Kalanick's behavior were watching it, being like, "This has got to be like a caricature of what the startup of Uber was like." It's like every single thing that they made fun of in the episode has actually happened. There was there was one section of the they were they're like, uh, "Oh, some of our drive." are complaining if they're getting sexually harassed by other drivers or the passengers and it's like oh are they we're gonna fire these drivers and find ones that are more comfortable working for us it's like hmm, I wonder where that came from like I still need to watch that because it's attacking pointy issues apparently yeah it's a, it's a very good show honestly it's very thoughtfully done and it's Will Arnett so yeah it's well yeah well, um but uh, Uber lied about the $100,000 paid to hackers by stating it was used for bug bounties. Bug, bu- bug bounties are penetration tests paid by tech companies uh, to be conducted by hackers to see if their systems have any... Um, penetration? Any vulnerabilities. <laughs> like, where the fuck do they come up with the names? for? Like, They've got to realize that when they come up with these ridiculous names for... Shit, like things that they have to do to like pr- uh, prepare their secu- cyber security. Why? Why use penetration? You're not being cyber penetrated. The the among cyber security in that circle, it's they're referred to as pen tests, which are is is less slightly yeah. slightly less descriptive. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's a it's a two dimensional uh, deception here on Uber's behalf. Um, Joe Sullivan, security officer of Uber uh, and former security officer of Facebook for seven years, has been fired uh, as a response to this. Sullivan also began a secret program called Grayball, which, which is a, uh, I'm sure, like a, a baseball league yeah. somewhere. Um, while at Uber, uh, to, I mean, this Grayball program. Um, Survey police in order to evade them. So that uh, could have been cool, but that's wrong. Yeah, I, I was, was going to say it sounds like a very like cool piece of thought, like a cool program. But on the other hand, when you're also trying to be an executive for one of the most uh, out in the open companies, everyone knows what fucking Uber is. You probably shouldn't be creating software that does that at the same time. That just seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, Another issue uh, related to Uber is um, Auto, which is an automation company bought by Uber to solve driving, uh, solve the issue of dr- self-driving cars, um, had been at the center of a major lawsuit uh, for the CEO of Auto stealing intellectual property from Alphabet, which is Google's company that he uh, he used to work for, um, and so 
they're, they're thieves, they're liars, and they're uh, degenerates, basically. They're over there at Uber. Um, so you have this going into 2019 when they're eligible for their first public offering. So good luck, Uber. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, interestingly, they, the former general counsel of the NSA has been hired as uh, Uber's new security officer. So nice. Great. Uh, our last story in our brand new brand spanking new it's spanking tech roundup get spanked by the tech roundup <laughs> get shanked yeah uh that's more accurate yeah get cyber get a cyber penetrated penetrate. on the internet <laughs> get breached um, <laughs> that's like somehow worse yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's like automatic. Like I know as soon as something comes out of my mouth, like that's not making it into the yeah. final cut. Like this is me describing that we just cut something. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. making it in, and we'll leave it up to you all to figure out yeah. who what it, what, what was, it was. But which is it's like instinct, though, which is now. interesting to think about, given that in episode one, anal literally we said anal fissures and let it in. Right, yeah. I mean, we 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 bleeped out anal. It was like beep fishers, which hilarious. But we were also playing around with the editing software and just wanted to hear. Yeah, they have out. Yeah, Mickey Mouse sound. Yeah, just wanted to figure out how to put in a sound effect in there. Uh, our last story relates to Siemens, Moody's Analytics, and Trimble being hacked by Chinese nationals. So for this was done for the what was said as uh, for the purposes of obtaining business secrets. The hackers stole data from transport transportation, technology, and energy units at Siemens, and info related to a more precise global navigation satellite system from Trimble. Uh, Moody's Analytics provides financial services and risk consulting for various companies and businesses. So the Chinese uh, nationals are uh, affiliated with the China uh, with the People's Liberation Army Unit 61398, um, which indicates that um, you know, these hacking operations are state-sponsored and directed. Um, 61398 did the same in 2014 to U.S. nuclear, metal, and solar firms. Um, and these three hackers um, are have uh, had some connection with Huawei, which is China's largest cell provider. Right, we talked um, about that in two, I think a couple episodes ago, which, yeah. is, and that's which huge. is terrifying. Yeah, that's yeah. huge that they're connected to... Essentially, like like what AT and T is in the United right, States. Right. Yeah. Like, and like imagine if AT and T were hacking people, essentially yeah. at the be at the behest of the U S government. Like that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but these three hackers are part. The Chinese government likes to employ uh, cyber groups instead and kind of brand them as government employees. And these three hackers are known to be a part of what's called Gothic Panda. Uh, this group has targeted uh, <laughs> aerospace defense, chemical energy, financial systems, etc. in uh, the UK, France, US, Hong Kong, and have uh, picked up activity since 2015 when, uh, when uh, Xi Jinping and President Obama signed a deal to no longer steal intellectual property from each other. So they're doing this defiantly and spitting in the face of... Uh, International Which law. seems pretty pretty par for the course, right. honestly. Yeah. It's yeah. like we mentioned all these things and like on one hand, like yes, it should be concerning, 
But it's like, is any of this shocking? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in relation to Siemens, they will be laying off uh, 7,000 employees worldwide. And they recently uh, had to merge with Alstom, which is a French engineering company and the developer of the Train à Grande Vitesse to keep up with uh, Chinese built high-speed trains. The bullets. The, the bullet trains, exactly. Um, and getting shot out of a bullet. <laughs> right. we, yeah, we, tra- we traveling on yeah. bullets. Traveling in a gun. <laughs> uh, and this is cre- this is recently this is created disdain amongst uh, German labor unions. So it's all because of the Chinese. Yeah, let's blame the Chinese. <laughs> like it's the early twentieth century in America. We blame them for a lot of stuff too. Uh, yeah. And speaking of the United States. Let's. Why don't we uh, move into the the foreign policy roundup? Because there's a lot of stuff that happened this the last week, and it just uh, amounts to more blunderous foreign policy. And like the first one that we have here, the teed up to talk about is uh, the Trump administration, like formally <laughs> formally recognizing Newark, New Jersey. That can't be right. <laughs> oh, it's the capital of uh, the capital of Israel. Israel. Right, so they. Well, that's probably why it's in why it's in the news. That's why it's such a big uh, deal. Like what? what a critical error. Cory Booker is now the prime minister of Israel. <laughs> no, but so Jerusalem, Donald Trump made the decision to recognize Jerusalem as the official capital of Israel, uh, which was something that was part of his camp, one of his campaign promises, and moving the U.S. embassy there, which poses a massive threat to any sort of peace talks um, between Palestinians and um, Israeli uh, leaders. So Austin, uh, why don't you uh, start to hash this out for us a little bit? Yeah, so uh, in past administrations, um, this had always been a bipartisan promise to make Jerusalem the capital. Uh, I mean, literally every single administration had planned to do this. Uh, But waivers were signed thereafter so as to not uh, destabilize peace talks amongst the Israelis and the Palestinians. Now, uh, such peace talks are virtually non-existent and Netanyahu continues to build settlements, continues to conduct airstrikes, and uh, simply showing that he is a... That he's Donald Trump in Israel. Right, just a pretty... But more capable. Worthless guy, yeah. Um, (laughs) Right, yeah, more capable. I mean, he's from... uh, Pretty sure Netanyahu is from New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. He, yeah. look, look that up. We'll, we'll confirm that later in the show. From, from Hoboken? Yeah, he's from Hoboken. Hoboken, no joking. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, to put this into perspective for people, 14 of the 15 UN Security Council members denounced the action, and uh, since Trump's infamous TV appearance relating, relaying the news, uh, riots, riots have erupted across Israel and the Middle East. and. Uh, Israeli airstrikes have been conducted over the Gaza Strip, killing right. several Palestinians. Yeah, I was going to say that like this is leading to more killing, more death in yeah. the Middle East because of, quite frankly, a political maneuver. Like this, this serves to advance peace talks in no way, shape, or form. Right. And it was interesting because uh, spokespeople for Donald Trump came out and were saying that. 
oh, well, you know, other administrations have been doing this six-month incremental uh, waiver system for not moving the embassy, for not officially recognizing Jerusalem, and it's got us nowhere. Like, um, there, we're still in the same place we were, which is a lie. But the fact is, is that it is a very complex uh, geopolitical problem that Sure. Uh, This waiver system has not actually done anything to advance, um, you know, some sort of like a peace talks. uh, Right. But the the flip side of that is it is a small price to pay for maintaining the status quo. Sure. Yeah. And, Most and and moving the like I said, moving the capital or not even moving, but just saying that we're going to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital has undermined peace talks in the immediate and has likely uh, made it to where the United States is going to have to um, negotiate not from a position of like uh, any sort of like moral high ground. If that makes any sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, it's it's a uh, undermined our negotiating position doing this. It's eliminated our negotiating. Right. Position. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably uh, a more accurate way to put it. Yeah, I mean, you could make the case that the rest of the Arab world has less of a focus on Palestinian uh, needs and desires, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, when it's when it's destroying any sort of communication. Uh, system in place, then why on earth would you possibly do this? Yeah, uh, it's like, uh, also, like, we really fucked up on this big time because 90 senators voted unanimously to move forward with this. Right. Which, yeah, I don't know, it's it's stunning to me. But it's, uh, well, you know, if... if if we can all recall correctly, uh, President Obama started his two terms uh, with a very hostile and cold approach to Israel and Netanyahu, uh, deservedly so, because Netanyahu is a, uh, he should most definitely be in jail. Um, And it was only until I think two years before the end of his term that President Obama went to Israel, so. which, as you said multiple times, is just due to his uh, like poor uh, foreign policy right. choices. Right. Uh, but in the short term, this uh, particular episode is a storm in a teacup, but uh, such actions have an immense buildup effect um, in the region and across the Middle East. Uh, President Erdogan of Turkey has already called for a meeting with major political and religious leaders in the Middle East next week. Um, to discuss the issue, so I uh, can't imagine what would come of that. Uh, we'll wait and see. Um, in addition to that, Sunni imams have publicly said that they will not meet with Tillerson on the matter. Um, so we raise the question once again, how could one possibly expect uh, Palestinians and Israelis to conduct conversations and peace talks when uh, Sunni imams won't even meet with uh, Right, and it goes back to say that we've totally eliminated our negotiating position. Right. Um, but when Democrats have wanted the same thing in the past, they wanted something out of it. Uh, in this case, is Netanyahu ending settlement building? No. Uh, we get nothing from this, which leads me to believe that this has some relationship to uh, the Mossad, which is the CIA of Israel, basically, and the right. same agency hired by Harvey Weinstein to spy on his victims. Um, them hacking into Russian computers not long ago, I think it was around a month ago, uh, and finding American software and American programs. Um, so we, 
what do we what could we possibly assume is happening there? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, to move on, uh, former Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh was assass assassinated uh, this past week. Um, he's killed by his former ally, the Houthi rebel militia, um, while trying to escape to Saudi Arabia, which, which is the ultimate uh, slap in the face. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, Saleh stepped down after Yemeni protests during the Arab Spring and gave power to his vice president. Now, his vice president, um, came from the same party and the same everything. Uh, and when that happens, there's no difference than what, what than who was overthrown, basically. Uh, and with this being realized, Saleh then called on Shia group, uh, on the, the then Shia group uh, Houthis to overthrow the Saudi-led vice president. Um, to completely flip-flop on that decision, Saleh in 2015 allowed a Saudi-led coalition to begin military intervention in Yemen. So it's this constant uh, reverse uh, strategy over and over again. Right, and, um, and all that is just to, at the same time, that like back and forth has still a lot to do with the fact that like Saudi, like the Saudi government's no longer providing aid to Yemen right, yeah. during their uh, like horrible famine, mm -hmm. like, through terrible humanitarian yeah, crisis. It's ultimate deception. Um, and so it got to this point where the only, the alliance between Saleh and the Houthis was broken, um, but they, and the only thing that they really had in common was uh, fighting against the pro-Hadi, which was the former uh, vice president, and a Saudi coalition. So, uh, they, I mean, they had no reason to collaborate anymore. The takeaway is that uh, Yemen is the Houthis country and they will be the uh, leading faction that takes Yemen forward uh, eventually. Um, and this is also to say that they will not allow Iran to initially install um, the Revolutionary Guard when peace is... Right, which uh, could lead to some really violent shit, yeah, like violent yeah. clashes between the Revolutionary Guard and the Houthi rebels. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's already going to happen in Syria. That's what people are believing what will happen. So it'll become, so Syria will become basically Lebanon uh, and Yemen will become the same thing. Just an extension of Iran. Uh, we go into the rise of the Turkish Turkish opposition party and Erdogan's visit to Greece. The EE party, which is a called the Good Party, uh, is winning favor in Turkish parliament, even possibly winning over the AK, AK party voters, which is uh, Erdogan's party, um, as well as secular and nationalist groups. Um, the AK party has fallen 6% from two years ago and has been in power since 20... Uh, 2002. 2002 yeah. um, this new opposition party could help combine uh, other opposition parties to form a coalition and eventually gain more Senate uh, new new parliament seats, basically, um, along with uh, pro-Kurdish and secular parties. Uh, 
but even the nationalist parties trying to defeat Erdogan's party, they will expel members from meddling uh, with Erdogan's rise. So you saw this last April in a referendum that expanded Erdogan's power after the coup. Right, which uh, is a very like contradictory stance yeah, for yeah. this party to take, which so, for a nationalist party is, again, not extremely surprising. Yeah, but a lot of these nationalist parties uh, represent the only opposition to Erdogan. So. It's kind of like terrifying. Yeah. So, if, <laughs> so the legitimate opposition parties have to overcome the uh, the nationalist opposition parties before they can overthrow Erdogan. Um, meanwhile, the Turkish president visits Greece for the first time in 60 years. The central dis uh, dispute between Turkey and Greece is Cyprus. Cyprus uh, has been seen over previous decades as a a hub for. Um, Russians to deposit their money uh, into Cypriot banks so they can either fund criminal activity or uh, art, uh, building projects, basically. Um, and this is sort of a political calculation in a way after uh, Erdogan, Rouhani, and Putin all met in Sochi uh, two weeks ago over, the, uh, over future plans in Syria. Um, the the most vital aspect of Cypriot banks uh, holding Russian money is, in relation to Syria, is a lot of people believe that this Russian money in Cypriot, Cypriot banks was uh, used to fund the Assad regime's chlorine attacks uh, throughout the Syrian civil war. Um, just to put this into perspective, one half to a third of all Cyprus uh, bank deposits are Russian, which uh, amounts to $31 billion. And in the past, German intelligence services and uh, Der Spiegel, which is a German magazine, uh, have gone on record as suggesting that the main beneficiaries from a Eurozone bailout of Cy Cyprus would be uh, the Russian oligarchs and the Russian mob. So and Russia... And by relation, Vladimir Putin. Right, yeah. So yeah, Russia set up another scheme um, with a bunch of like disguises involved. Right. Um, in relation to uh, anything related to Germany, the Jamaica coalition, coalition which was the union of uh, the Free Democrats and the Greens and the CDU, which is Miracle's party, has fallen through and Miracle needs Martin Schultz again. <laughs> yeah, Martin Schultz. Um, so these uh, same labor unions uh, that were previously mentioned in relation to uh, Siemens employees have urged Martin Schultz, uh, the leader of the SPD, the Social Democrats, um, and the former president of the Euro European Parliament and EU Commission to take a stand. Uh, the criticism of the SPD during the recent German elections, they didn't know what they stood for. They stood for Martin Schultz and Martin Schultz's grand vision of what the EU could become. Um, so this gives Schultz the stage again to deliver what was expected during the election, um, but also to deliver a design of this social democratic uh, federal Europe and what he calls the America of Europe. Um, but it still raises many questions. The SPD and the EU Commission still have um, issues to resolve related to a Eurozone finance system uh, with Macron that has yet to be installed or designed. Uh, where is the stabiliz stabilization fund for Greece or, I don't know, 
Cyprus, Italy, Portugal, Spain. Um, where is this banking union going to occur and when? Uh, and how does the Bundeswehr, which is the German military, how, do their, uh, how does its image and numbers problem uh, become resolved when their military is actually needed right now? Right. I mean, the, the whole idea of, and I mean, you and I talked about this, the whole idea of like the creating a United States of Europe thing uh, sort of ties in with this whole like Brexit yeah, um, yeah. mentality. But like you, like you also said, it almost uh, raises more questions than it does propose solutions. Right. But imagine if Schultz and Merkel had not teamed up again. Imagine them on being different uh, pages throughout the next five years. Well, I mean, it would uh, eliminate her ability to govern. Right. Like, and uh, would destabilize probably one of the only... I mean, like, Macron is doing a lot to step up as a, a global leader in, in France, but it would essentially, like, totally undermine the leadership of uh, one of the most important global players right now in, in Angela Merkel. Yeah. Well, teaming up with the Free Democrats and the Greens would have proposed, like, an alternative system or a, a go-around route to the same concept. Yeah. So why would you abandon what you know and what's proven to be somewhat successful over the past however long she's been in power? Uh, our last story of the foreign policy roundup is Poland electing its uh, new prime minister. So uh, Jarosław Kaczynski um, and his Law and Justice Party has created an increasingly authoritarian state. I was going to say, if Trump could have run, his own, if he could have founded his own party, I don't think he would have come up with that name. He would have engaged Stephen Miller, and Stephen Miller would have been like, yeah, Law and Justice, ah! <laughs> yeah. And then like gone back in his little cage on top of the radiator that Donald Trump keeps him on. <laughs> Alright, come on, boy, come out now. I need a speech. And then, uh, yeah, Stephen Miller would have just transformed into, <laughs> into Dennis Miller. <laughs> Yeah, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> right. Yeah, Rodman. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Andrzej Duda is uh, Putin's conspirator and the president of Poland. He's the one uh, sort of responsible for uh, legislation during the summer that had been presented that would force um, the not only the entire Supreme Court to resign and then be replaced with those elected or uh, selected uh, by the Law and Justice Party, um, but it would have caused the EU to invoke Article 7, which is uh, initiating sanctions against uh, members violating democratic standards. Right, which is essentially sanctioning Russia. So but, yeah, it would have been exactly. sanctioning like a permanent Security Council member right. or whatever. And so here, uh, Mateusz Morawiecki, the former international banker and finance minister, will become uh, Poland's new prime minister. Um, and this is basically a technique used to uh, improve and extend uh, an easier back channel to Putin financially. Because I mean, most things that are going on in Eastern Europe have a one way or another. It seems it can always be traced back to Putin making money or gaining more control over what used to be the USSR. Essentially, right, yeah. so the Law and Justice Party can sort of spread its wings and uh, engage in other legislative issues uh, in surrounding areas. So. There we go, the most depressing foreign policy roundup we've ever conducted. But you know what? That's how things go sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes things are depressing, and I hate to break it to everybody, but it's not like my segment is going to be all uh, <laughs> flowers and sunshine. So hang on to your butts. It's about to get real. In your cloud. Yeah, hang on to your cloud. Hang on to your ass cloud. 
and uh, stick, stick around after this brief break and we will be back um, for some news on the home front. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Cutaway. Uh, we have made it <laughs> almost to the end of the pod, um, and I was a little bit worried before um, I sat down to work on the outline for this for this episode and, and uh, delve into recording. I was worried that we weren't going to have any sponsorship um, for this episode, uh, so I didn't know if I was going to be able to eat this week. But fortunately, we do. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very timely sponsor uh, given what I'm about to talk about. Uh, but today's pod is brought to you by the House of Representatives Sexual Assault Settlement Slush Fund. Do you want to sexually harass and or assault your coworkers? Run for the U.S. House of Representatives, the Senate's fuck-up younger brother that literally has a slush fund of taxpayer dollars used as hush money when congressmen behave inappropriately. As an added bonus, the accused are forced to abide by a strict non-disclosure agreement so your abhorrent behavior never has to be revealed. Run for office now before the Washington Post exposes another 20 to 30 representatives by 2018. Um, and now that we've gotten our first sponsorship message out of the way, um, our latest news cycle, especially when it comes to domestic news, has been absolutely insane. Uh, California is on fire. Senators are stepping down left and right from office amidst sexual misconduct allegations. And a pederast is about to be voted into the Senate. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Don Jr. incriminated himself um, because he doesn't realize what attorney-client privilege is. Um, and Donald Trump's teeth fell out of his head. Um, while... And Roy Moore's ass. <laughs> right, right. So what the fuck are we dealing with here? And I'm going to delve into Roy Moore as a person before later talking about the Alabama Senate race, because the Senate race is, is important, but we're going to talk about Roy Moore briefly. Um, as the Senate race in Alabama is ramping up to be an actual, like, a political barometer, um, also indicates where we're at, you know, as far as tribalism in this country and socially. Um, Roy Moore, um, for those who do or don't know, was a twice-removed... Uh, Snake Alabama <laughs> Alabama Supreme Court Justice. He was kicked off the bench these two times for refusing to abide by federal mandates um, because he wants to live in a theocracy um, and not a pseudo-secular democracy that we live in. Um, not only that, but he has been accused credibly um, of child molestation and going after teenage girls as a 30-something-year-old man and at the time was an assistant district attorney. Um, his, and an assistant principal at those. Right. That's where, he, that's where he wanted to find a date. And all of his supporters are saying, and this is, I, fuck it. Call me an elitist. I don't really give a shit. Alabama, you are fucked in the head if most of your people believe what I'm about to say. His supporters have come out and said that if you were a young girl in Alabama, you would be you should be overjoyed that a man like Roy Moore, despite being over double your age, wants to take you out for a date. If you're a 16-year-old, a 17-year-old girl, your prime uh, 
problem in life to be wearing a, taking some other idiot 16 or 17 year old boy to the senior prom um, and fighting over Becky Pearson's dress looking nicer than yours or whatever. You shouldn't be worried about some 30 fucking something year old man trolling around your high school parking lot looking to pick you up and take you out on a date or he's been fucking banned from a mall in his hometown in Alabama because he used to go there looking for dates. I mean, it's absolutely fucking ludicrous. If you're at Alabama, you need to get your fucking shit together. It's 2017. Quit trying to defend some kind of archaic, antebellum lifestyle. It's over. It's 2017. Get your goddamn shit together. Other statistics related to Roy Moore are fucking staggering. Over 70% of Alabamians believe that these attacks are launched by an ulterior motivated media just to undermine their personal brand of conservatism, which I will say this. There are media outlets and people that work for mainstream media outlets that do have a progressive slant. Just like there are people that work in the state-run media, a.k.a. Fox News, that are constantly out to undermine anyone that doesn't defend Donald Trump. However, I do not believe, and this is largely can be proven, the Washington Post did not begin this uh, expose of Roy Moore because they don't like his brand of politics. This is something that was done because Roy Moore is a despicable human being. And separate from all of his child molestation, this is a man who believes that homosexuality should be outlawed by the federal government. This is a man who has gone on record saying that Muslims are not fit to serve in Congress. This is also a man who some 15 years ago was on C-SPAN arguing that there is gang violence and most specifically drive-bys happen because kids are taught evolution in school and not creationism. This is the type and of motherfucker that's uh, animals. Right, exactly. You know, he thinks that all these things are fact and this is who this is someone who people in Alabama want to put in the Senate. But you're speaking to the uh, 70% of Alabamans believing that the attacks were launched by uh, a, a secret society. Right. Um, this speaks to how tight-knit and how sheltered these uh, evangelical communities are. Right. This level of the tribalism South. is incredible. So yeah. uh, their first inclination is to assume that uh, a greater force or a larger power, <laughs> similar to the one that they devote their entire lives to believing in, uh, is attacking them. Right. And the thing that I don't fucking understand is I read this long thread of tweets because journalists sometimes don't want to actually write for their job. They just want to post a thread of tweets. So this woman spent time following Roy Moore on the campaign and was talking to uh, some of his supporters, most of whom live in rural Alabama who have no money, they have no education, and they, they're all like this evangelical Baptist, right? And she tries to paint this flattering picture of old white men who use the N-word liberally, who who don't even believe Fox News. They believe like Infowars and Breitbart-level conspiracy theories and who think that the whole government should be filled with Roy Moores. And she tries to paint this picture of them as like, they're just misunderstood. If only, if only we as outsiders could see the world that they live in, if only we could put ourselves in their shoes and live with some empathy. I'll tell you what. 
I have family from Alabama. Granted, they're not from like super rural, poor Alabama, but they're from Montgomery. So they're not from some really poor city. part, but they're not right. But they're not from like yeah, the, the big shitty Alabama. God, that's not a fucking oxymoron. But the fact of the matter is this: these people. The federal government has tried to help southern states to the nth degree, but they keep electing people that do not allow for outsiders to try to come at least bring them up to the base level that you should be at in life, socially and from an education standpoint. And it almost ties into this fact that they believe they've been screwed when in reality they just keep electing people who feed them that bullshit. So two things. Uh, the existence or emergence of Roy Moore into the public attention uh, speaks to the possibility that because this is so extreme and so scandalous that uh, evangelical conservative politicians and those who would vote for such um, will see a, a, a decrease in public support and uh, public acknowledgement. Right. So that's one. Uh, two is you were mentioning that because of the rise of uh, Breitbart Infowars that these people uh, choose that as a credible news source rather than others. Um, it's important to note that in the previous election uh, voting data was recorded based off of the voters beliefs and not the voter uh, himself or herself. So that's new. Is it genius? Is it brilliant? Of course. But it allows people to believe that the source of that decision being made uh, is, is a valid reason to uh, apply it to other scenarios. Right, and they don't have the, I don't want to say cognitive ability, but they haven't been uh, given the like, uh, resources to be able to like, discern what's actually going on from an education standpoint. And they don't understand that those decisions were made. Uh, I mean, Bob Mercer and uh, Cambridge Analytica or big data being used to um, you know, create new strategies uh, with gerrymandering. They don't understand that these uh, information um, strategies are high-level uh, approaches to manipulating their own populations. Right, exactly. And th they don't realize they're on the shit end of the stick. Right. Like, they're getting fucked by people uh, who, yeah, who want to keep them down for their own benefit. And all of this is to say that this whole thing has been extremely fucking frustrating and infuriating because all these voters say, and, and these are other, like, there's members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, who have, and our president has gone on so far to say, is, we'd rather have Roy Moore, who is a terrible fucking excuse for a human being in the Senate than a Democrat. I don't give a fuck who you are. If it were my own party that were doing this, I would still say, fuck you. If you're a terrible human being, we'll figure out a way to, to win without this seat. We'll yeah. figure out a way to still provide services for people without this seat. And that actually leads me into the this, to talking about Al Franken because this is something Before that I'll, I'll say that uh, right Roy Moore uh, has sex with children and we potentially farm animals right yeah um, I mean this but, is literally a pig fucker a cow fucker we're talking <laughs> right. about from Alabama and, uh, a Schweinfigger right which uh, would have been if we want to live in a, de uh, a representative democracy perfect Right. Uh, Fix yourself, Alabama. But uh, the extent of my analysis is that he is a uh, an animal in that regard, and he'll probably be assassinated once this all uh, 
dissolved. But white evangelicals are hiding behind uh, their belief system, right or wrong, whatever it may be, um, to support people like Trump and uh, Roy Moore in the same way that they hide behind their societal framework uh, that that depends on racism and depends on homophobia. And because a lot of it is too, as human beings, we like uh, we make up our own rules to defend our way of living. But for them, they already have the dogma in place yeah. with with their with their like evangelical bullshit. And they're uh, applying sort of the same. Uh, deductive strategies uh, that they use to believe in Jesus uh, to their like own fear and uh, speculation related to um, you know building this entire nation uh, or the entire nation viewing them as uh, subhuman right which, which is which not they are right like and it's not to say that we don't want you to join the human race but you just want to live in this primordial cesspool right it's not it's not a high level critical thinking at all. Right. And so that brings me into I am not going to, uh, you know, talk down on Roy Moore and not hold people that I uh, look up to to the same standard. So on December 7th, uh, Al Franken announced um, on the Senate floor that he would be stepping down in the uh, in the coming weeks. Amidst alleg- uh, over a half a dozen allegations of uh, sexual misconduct prior to his life um, in public service in the Senate, um, I was certain that by the time I had written that, that more would come out. Um, but you know, Al Franken's gone back to Minnesota, and he's you know doing the right thing here, where he came out you know and said you know what happened is wrong, um, and he's going to step down because of it. Um, you know, Republicans were calling on him to step down. He lost support from his constituents and from his uh, Democrat colleagues in the Senate. Um, and so he did what was right, um, despite the fact that I'll say this: the way that he behaved, inappropriate, absolutely. However, it is not this to the same degree as what we've how we've seen other. Um, representatives behave. It's not on par with John Conyers. It's not on par with Roy Moore. It's not on par with uh, Farenthold, the one who uh, you know six-figure settlements um, to his uh, staffers. It's Still not on par. Still belief, though, that um, because of his position as someone who is relatively trusted, that um, this could pot- potentially pose uh, a sea change or social upheaval in a way that yes, people's opinions and approaches towards women will change. That's not the case. I mean, nothing's going to change. Right. Well, well, not only that, but so and, I, and I've said fallacy. right, and I've said this to you. I've said this to other people. I might have even said it um, in passing in, an ep- in another episode. But how we are handling all these sexual assault allegations is wrong, and I'll and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because what is happening now is we're shedding light on exactly how pervasive this problem is. That's good. What we're doing is having people um, be held responsible for how they behaved, which is good. Well, Most people well, the are framework for the responsibility is uh, has no structure, right? But the, the yes, the term, for responsibility's sake, yes, right. But is. but but the fact is, is when you look at how we're handling all this, it's like a mob with pitch, pitchforks and torches, and we're going to look back on how we handled this in two or three years, and we're going to say, what the fuck did we do? There's absolutely no solutions being proposed. There's no new policy measures being taken on how exactly we can prevent this kind of shit from happening and what we can do to make sure this isn't a problem moving forward. Do I think that holding people accountable and recognizing exactly how pervasive this problem is is a good thing? Absolutely. But 
I think that the fact that we're viewing everything through the same lens, we're viewing all these men who have done all these very wide-ranging acts of sexual misconduct all the way through rape as the same thing. And this is... I've heard other people express similar sentiment, and it's a very hard thing to say, but there are varying levels to what we have seen these different men be accused of and what they are guilty of. And I think that just like in the court of law, varying crimes are held with varying consequences, we also need to temper our punish, our social punishment of these men differently. And that's a very difficult thing to say. It's now, a difficult thing to do when, I'll say this, it's a difficult thing to do when you have the opposite party that Roy Moore is involved in, um, a, you know, a tenured figure and almost the face of the Democratic Party at this point, Nancy Pelosi, coming to the defense of Joe They're being held to the same level. Right, on, right. on national television. Uh, that's a problem, and it delegitimizes anyone's approach into Al Franken moving forward. Right. However, um, it's, you know, I think it's great to be sending a, you know, a precautionary red alert to uh, progressives to get their shit together and to reorganize their, uh, their, the party's foundation of being an ideological party and a uh, ethically strong and proven political party, uh, that's been deconstructed. Um, and the prob another problem with that is that it puts more pressure on women on the left to react strongly or more emotionally. Right, um, emotionally. That's the problem. Right, because they... Um, because they're because of their association, well, and the association itself is problematic because it, this whole saga uh, relies heavily on um, it appeals to you emotionally. This, this uh, right, yeah, but it also relies on what we should have and as a, a spectrum of punishment or a spectrum or some sort of classification system for these uh, crimes. Um, but even that um, is based off of, uh, like you were saying, uh, either a political calculation or a emotional calculation. Right. And a lot of that, too, has to do with the fact that, like I said, we're going to look back on this in two or three years and realize that we handled it the wrong way. And it's, all this, it's very difficult to talk about because 100% we have to believe the women, 100%. The reason why women do not come forward – well, the reason why women don't come forward with allegations is because they think they're going to be uh, – immediately shot down as liars. Now right. I'll say this. There's also preponderance of evidence. There's also, like we were saying, right, absolutely. varying levels of uh, validity. Right, but you, my, by me saying that is if a woman comes out and says, um, so-and-so did X, Y, Z to me, all of this, and the likes of which was uh, inappropriate. There was sexual misconduct, there was sexual assault. Our initial knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be, you're lying just to get time on TV and to screw somebody over for a politically no, it's not accusing her of lying. It's, acute, it's uh, understanding that right. uh, there's uh, truth and falsity. Absolutely, and that's why I'm saying there should be a a system in place right now instead of just being everyone's fired everyone's committed because I said this in a previous episode every man has done something skeezy to a woman in a sexual there sense every a, man without exception there shouldn't be a dynamic of uh, accuser and accused right exactly it should be uh, less of an emotional reaction and more of a how can we actually propose a solution to this problem right. you know and now that's what I, I even wrote this down here should allegations of sexual assault or misconduct or anything of the like be fully investigated to make sure that claims are credible Credible, accurate, and public. Yes. But 
and especially because there's been a lot of comparison lately between Roy Moore and Al Franken. And I'm going to read this so I can not go off fucking topic. These men are absolutely fucking nothing alike at all. Al Franken has a long history of championing advancing women's rights during his tenure as a senator. He copped to some of these allegations um, and outright said, I remember some of these instances differently, differently than the women do, which should be investigated. Right? And he has admitted that he feels ashamed that he made the women feel violated. And it leagues beyond what Roy Moore has done, which is the following. He has discredited the women, he has smeared them, he's attacked them, he's belittled them and dehumanized them to the point where all of his supporters think that they're subhuman. Um, all of this is in the name of getting to Washington and advancing his lunatic, far-right, faux-Christian agenda because um, he's from Alabama and has a screw loose. That's the stance of me uh, and 50% of this podcast is that this moron from Alabama has a screw loose, his supporters have a screw loose, and that's it. It's not to ignore the fact, though, that um, there is still the two parties handling the situation in the same way. Right. It's a very like knee-jerk reaction of well, politically motivated. Right. Covering up for, I mean, someone is supposedly as uh, ethically uh, esteemed as Nancy Pelosi uh, <laughs> coming to the the aid of a, uh, another senator. But you, I mean, yeah, you have you have the two parties making the same mistakes and the same political calculations. I think that's why people are making that association between right. Roy Moore and Al Franken. Right, which is which is merited. Right, um, and to to break up this section from from the closing of it, California right now is on fire. So like socially, we're having all these problems, and then the largest state in the union is on fire. And uh, a lot of this, honestly, right now there has not been enough news coverage on it, um, mostly because a lot of everything is still going on. We don't know the full extent of the damage. All the White House has done is issue some sort of blanket thank you statement to first responders who I think the president honestly thinks that there's a unit called first responders and it's just like a mix of like firefighters police like because he's totally has dementia and disconnected from reality but from Axios um Beginning on Monday night, um, this whole series of fires that just spread into one massive uh, fire um, has totally demolished homes, um, killed like all sorts of like wild animals as well as like horses and uh, pets, um, upending lives. <laughs> and because if you think about the part of California that this has gone through, there are farms, like you know what I mean. There are farms that are have been in its wake as well as um, you know parts of like wealthy Los Angeles, right? Fuck California though. I fucking hate California. Right. Well, there's a good cleansing fire maybe yeah. from from Austin, <laughs> but from <laughs> but from a lot of this. Um, you know we're gonna see, we're gonna need to see a response like we did in the wake of the hurricanes, where there's federal money, where there's private money. Um, I mean, and it's California, so as much as this sounds insensitive to say they'll be okay. I mean, I'll so say the, that the sixth largest uh, GDP on, on planet in the world, right? So I think that I think that they will be okay from a financial standpoint. It's just going to take rebuilding, um, and honestly, with the way that California um, progresses, uh, it, they probably needed to burn half the state just so they can <laughs> rebuild it. Right. Um, and I'm going to wrap up my time with a segment that I like to call Alabama Senate race. Uh, Kentucky City Clerkship, Bob Corker's Tennessee Senate seat, as well as Donald Trump's teeth falling out of his head, and Don Jr. doesn't understand attorney-client privilege. These are your elected leaders, idiots. Um, so, like I said in the beginning of the episode, um, this has been a very turbulent news cycle. So, 
this is hopefully going to be a fun rapid fire <laughs> uh, section before before we wrap things up. But I've talked ad nauseum about this Alabama Senate race, but it's incredibly important given its context with. Uh, our social uh, problems we're facing in the United States as well as uh, actual things are going to affect your life, like the tax code. Because the only reason why the GOP is backing him right now is because they absolutely need Roy Moore's vote on tax reform. And they're going to allow a child molester into the upper chamber of Congress just so they can keep passing tax cuts and other ridiculous legislation that hurts everyday people. And more than that, I'm going to reinforce the fact that you know we live in a uh, society where our government is comprised of a bicameral Congress, um, and the Senate is the upper chamber, meaning it's supposed to be filled by the most brilliant, selfless civil servants our country has to offer, unlike the House of Representatives, which you can be a moron and join the House of Representatives. Um, Roy Moore makes the Freedom Caucus um, look like fucking Bernie Sanders, and he's going to be in the Senate. Um, <laughs> Makes it look like Colonel Sanders. Or, yeah, Colonel Sanders. And uh, we here at The Cutaway, we like to offer solutions, not just bitching. So, Because I, I love to bitch, but there's also a, a solution in all this. To give you a comparison, Donald Trump has called uh, Doug, Joint, Doug Jones weak on crime, weak on the border, weak on immigration, weak on pro-life, weak on all these things. Oh, he's weak on appealing to black voters. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what he's weak on. Right. Well, That's why he's not going to win the race. Doug Jones has prosecuted members of the KKK and, In and fought his whole life for social advancement of people who are struggling. Meanwhile, uh, Roy Moore was kicked out of uh, serving as the Supreme Court Justice of uh, Alabama because he refused to abide by federal law. Um, so just as a refutation, uh, Doug Jones cared about black people 20 years ago. Um, within Alabama, itself that he's presented um, as sort of this moderate where he appears in these commercials where he takes he he talks about Alabama's history and uh, allure um, and which fucking haha -ha, what allure right so he, he he said you know Alabama has a rich history and take and almost sympathizes with both Union and Confederate war generals in the commercial um, and this is recent. Uh, in interviews um, with reporters, he deflects any and all questions related to the cruel treatment of uh, black people across Alabama. Right. Um, and so, which is why Cory Booker recently went to Alabama to go campaign with him. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, Cory. Well, Cory Booker's his stocks uh, falling. Yeah, falling. Um, so that's that's self-serving. But. Um, there are no ads in black magazines or on black radio stations, which are a thing in Alabama because there is no press for right. black Alabama. That, like that's the like, literally, and if you think about the the real rise of like a uh, you know, black media, like the '60s, the '70s, Alabama is still living in that. Right. Like, so, uh, just to make it clear, Doug Jones is concerned about winning undecided GOP voters and not. One fourth of black voters that right. he, he which needs is what to win he needs to win the race. So, uh, and also that's Doug Jones a presentable Democrat? Absolutely not. Is he uh, is he a politician? Sort of, uh, <laughs> but he's not. He's not gonna. He's not gonna win. No. I mean, and if he does win, if he does win, this is this entire election is worth uh, analyzing because it could. Uh, 
it would provide sort of a background for uh, Democrats going into elections in deep, deep south uh, areas of the country. Right. So it gives Democrats hope in those areas. Right. But only because Doug Jones's uh, opposition is a, uh, right. a, it's, it's, a rapist. Right. And, not, right. and not only that, but in any other case, this would be a runaway race for the GOP and would not be in the national discussion. Right. Um, also, in other uh, Senate news, um, this week, uh, Tennessee's former governor, uh, Democrat Phil Bresden, uh, is running to fill Bob Corker's uh, Senate seat. Um, right now, this announcement is actually extremely fresh, uh, but there will be more to come as we find out what type of backing he's going to have uh, from the DSCC um, and endorsements and fundraising. However, um, we can take this as a good sign um, as he had a great uh, physical track record in Tennessee um, and it's going to require a little bit more research on my part in his social background um, but as we know Bob Corker has not been a uh, <laughs> a, a big ally of the president um, and is going to be out after his second term um, so and we'll of course we'll be looking forward to many attacks from the president against uh, against their former governor um, but now if who remembers Kim Davis, uh, she was the the county clerk who refused to honor the Supreme Court's decision to recognize gay marriage um, and would not sign any marriage certificates uh, for gay people within her county, um, thus not allowing same-sex couples to be married because of her antics. Um, she was all over the news. Um, our dear friend and cutaway supporter Mike Huckabee rallied with her on Fox, um, and then she just kind of scurried back into her uh, Kentucky fuckhole um, because she's basically a female version of Alex Jones. They kind of look alike even. Um, well, the first couple for whom she refused to sign Sounds a marriage good. license, right? Yeah. Uh, this kind of couple that made her famous, uh, if it were, uh, is is back again. Uh, David Ermold, uh, Ermold, uh, one of the men in this uh, same-sex marriage, is running for county clerk against her. Um, which is pretty fucking incredible. Uh, his campaign posted a picture on Twitter um, of him going down to the... Because if you are running um, for any county seat, you have to go down to the county courthouse and get the clerk to sign off on your paperwork. Normally, this woman runs unopposed. Um, and this year, she had to sign his... Uh, <laughs> his uh, announcement for candidacy, which is which is pretty incredible. But ultimately, and of course, it's always difficult to, to recognize if, because I, I talked a lot about this during the Virginia election, is if we can look at this as some sort of reckoning against the GOP. I do. Um, I am always hesitant to kind of declare social progress, you know, is advancing against, uh, you know, conservatism, which is basically just wanting to stay stagnant and ass backward. Um, but we're seeing at least some sort of like positive news. Um, and keeping with the trend of positive news, this is something that's kind of funny in a dark way. Um, during Donald Trump's announcement, where he was declaring Israel the capital of Jerusalem um, had a, a technical malfunction, as it were. Toward the end of his speech, uh, he started to noticeably slur. And if you go back um, through most of it, you literally just Google or go on Twitter and search Donnie's dentures falling out. Uh, toward the end of his speech, had this noticeable slur, and he was engaging in the weird sniffing he did during his uh, presidential debates um, that led people to think he was actually a closet coke addict. Um, but... 
We've had people online who are speculating, oh, Donald Trump had a stroke or whatever. However, it's very obvious. His dentures were falling out of his fucking head on TV because he was, like, trying to, like, suck them back. He's, like, <laughs> like trying to suck the fucking dentures back into his mouth, and he's slurring, and he's trying to, like, sniff because he can't breathe through his mouth, which like, should uh, do. Roy Moore's horse. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... But I, I urge all of you out there to search for the video because it's absolutely fucking hilarious. Uh, we can, and it's always funny to laugh at presidents doing fucking ridiculous shit. Um, I'm sure it'll make it up there in infamy along with, you know, like Gerald Ford falling down the fucking tarmac getting out of <laughs> Air Force One. Um, but in other uh, Trump news, uh, Don Jr. actually spent uh, several hours um, in front of the Senate and during which time they were asking him uh, specific questions about a meeting he was having with his father. Which was related to um, Russian children being adopted by U.S. citizens, right. pre- presumably. Right, yeah, presu- right. but of course it was really about um, back-channeling between the Kremlin and the Trump campaign, or at least that is what the Senate committee is trying to find out. During this time, he actually tried to say that he didn't have to answer the, the question um, as it was covered by attorney-client privilege between himself and his father. Need I remind everyone, Donald Trump Sr., our president, is not a lawyer, nor is Donald Trump Jr. But he was saying that because a lawyer was actually in the room, that whatever he was saying to his father was covered under this attorney-client privilege, which even conservative Trump-supporter lawyers have said, like, that's a ludicrous assertion. It's like day one, you're a 1L in law school, and you realize that's not what that is. Um, but it's uh, important to add that Donald Trump Jr. was responsible for a lot of the communications between uh, chromium mines in Kazakhstan that would uh, give money to Trump by by process to um, invest in his real estate ventures. Right. Which also led to Don Jr. having communications with uh, Russian lawyers. Right. And uh, all of this is to say that uh, clearly uh, this is almost like, uh, you know, getting as close to incriminating yourself on under oath as possible. And so you can just imagine that uh, Mueller is going to pounce on this opportunity to uh, to penetrate, <laughs> to breach Donald Trump Jr. Mueller's going to have to watch out. He's got a lot of FBI issues going on right now. He's in, gonna, internally. Donald Trump's going to fire him or try to fire him. Well, there. I'm convinced of that. There are reasons why. Well, to a, to a point, but I mean, but I mean, to a, to a valid point. Why? Because one of his investigators was anti-Trump. Well, that, but also, uh, I mean, you have multiple. There are multiple scenarios where. Um, I mean, it relied, it's basically on Comey. There, I mean, internally within the FBI, there was just a, a chain of uh, internal feuds. Well, and so a lot of that had to do with how they were handling the Clinton investigation as well. It's all, like, related. Yeah. And, I mean, Lindsey Graham fucking was like, we need to investigate everything in 2016. Yeah. It's like, I'm sick of relitigating the fucking election. I'm sick of relitigating all this fucking shit. Yeah. Like, I mean, we, like, everyone knows what happened, uh, basically, at this point. Mm-hmm. Just a matter of whether you want to pursue it for criminality. Right. And the anti-Trump uh, FBI staff member was uh, fired. Out of like a you know security reasons basically, 
Right. So, uh... Deservedly so, we don't know. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just reading the outro right now. This week has been absolutely <laughs> fucking crazy. This week, 76 years ago, the... Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett commenced Ben Affleck. They, yeah. <laughs> they commenced a they commenced a sneak attack Josh on the naval base at Pearl Harbor, killing thousands of American sailors, thus oh, dragging God. the US into WWE's <laughs> World War II. WWE Raw Smackdown. War II. <laughs> yeah. InfoWars. <laughs> Our good friends at InfoWars have provided Info new Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Inform me daddy. I'm sure they provided my new writing on this one is fucking <laughs> InfoWars has made Brian McKnight, the host of the program Real News, <laughs> come to the conclusion that it was a false flag operation <laughs> to lure the Japanese into attacking Josh Hartnett, Ben Affleck, and Brian McKnight. And Alec Baldwin. And, and Al Baldwin. <laughs> Thus allowing the DDR to not break his pro- to not break their promise. FDR. To- oh shit, DDR. Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> or the. Uh, uh, I'm gonna the, smoke this cigarette the, inside. This is the the German set did, me on the, fire. The East German government. I was, uh, but that's fine. Oh yeah, let's go with Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah. Uh, that the American people, he promised to them that uh, he wouldn't send U.S. troops to another foreign war against Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck on the on the scene of Pearl Harbor, directed by. Uh, Benicio del Toro. Yeah. Felicio Fel- del Toro. Fel- yeah. Felicio del Oro. <laughs> uh, he then goes on to say that we're supposedly doing the same thing, da da da, letting our defenses down to let people attack right. it was us a, for whatever reason. It was, it was for a, the meth labs yeah. on Hawaii that the a, Japanese wanted ludic- for their pilots. It was a totally like, ludicrous uh, connection there. It was fucking crazy. Likely to advance to the globalist yeah, country. Can you believe it? I can believe it. Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Cuckheimer. Jerry Cuckheimer. Yeah. Attacked 9-11. Attacked 9-11 from his own plane when he was shooting uh, the movie for the Tom Hanks movie where the plane lands in the fucking Hudson Bay. No, he was shooting The Last Airbender. The la- yeah, The Last Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. The Last Airbender. <laughs> oh, God. Another great conspiracy news. Um, apparently, there is an, uh, another super planet, um, you know, nearby enough Good that could host... Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that would be a host to alien life. And I want everyone to realize this. Did I read this on InfoWars? No. RT, no. Breitbart, also no. It was none other than our state-sponsored news, Fox News, that actually posted this story, that aliens are living on a super planet um, within close enough proximity to Earth that we could eventually explore and bring democracy. What are they talking about, Manhattan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they think aliens live. We got illegal aliens. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh god all right that's all for this yeah, week i was gonna read that it has to be i was gonna read like that's all for this week we're like that's it <laughs> we appreciate your continued support of the cutaway and we look forward to bringing you more content uh, in the coming weeks via facebook improved quality uh both in content obviously we missed the mark this week and and uh, and ethics, yeah, and audio. Um, we're gonna bring on some more guests. Um, we're gonna have some more contributors. Um, in 2018, we're gonna have a lot of really great things coming your way, um, and we're, we're very much looking forward to it. This is the end of the beginning. Yeah, this is the end of the beginning. We're moving into the epilogue. Uh, please be sure to follow us on Facebook. Search the cutaway. One word: the cutaway. C U T A W A Y. One word. One We're also word. on iTunes, Google Play, Pinecast, TuneIn, wherever else you find your podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Five stars. Until next time. Until next time. Goodbye, nerds.